The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ron Schmelzer, and uh, we are really, we're seventh season, seven seasons of AI Today. It's kind of interesting as to where AI was in the year 2017 when we started AI Today and what we were doing at Cognolytica and kind of what we were thinking about at the time and and uh, how things have changed, but also how things have not really changed that much. So for those of you that may be listening to the AI Today podcast for the first time, you should go back and listen to our pretty long library of podcasts. We've had interviews with so many folks who have been doing stuff around AI. We also have had many series, our AI failure series, which has very, been very popular and stays relevant. We don't need to do more in that series. So we ended that series a while back. We, of course, have had our glossary series, which has been going on for quite some time all the terms that you need to know about AI and how to understand what things are. We had our our, uh, application series, our industry series, our use case series. We've been doing now our trustworthy AI series. We're well into that. And and you should stay subscribed because we have many more episodes coming up with our trustworthy AI series. And of course, our generative AI series, which is hot because, well, it's like that's what everybody's talking about. Because you know, if your mother or grandmother or cousin can call you and text you one day and say, see what I did with AI, <laughs> generated some image or some text, you know we, we, we've crossed the chasm here because AI is literally in everybody's fingers. They can do whatever they want now with AI. <laughs> exactly. So if you've been listening to our podcast for uh, you know any number of episodes now, especially back in the beginning, you'll know that AI is not new, right? It's been around since the 1950s. But we've had a resurgence in AI. And like Ron said, it's really at everybody's fingertips now. And I think that that's really what's caused, you know, such reinterest in AI, which has been wonderful for us. And we're, you know, we've we've always been excited to cover this space. And now is a really exciting time in AI. So we have our generative AI series, and that's what this podcast is focused on today. So if you haven't already subscribed to AI Today, make sure to subscribe, and we'll link to all the previous generative AI podcasts in the show notes so you can go back and listen to them as well. But in today's podcast, we are going to have an excerpt from our CPMAI training, our Cognitive Project Management for AI training, uh, the our generative aspect of that, where we focus on generative AI concepts. And in this podcast, we're going to talk about what foundation models are, and more importantly, how to make these large language models do what you want them to do. A lot of people, you know, have been reaching out to us and telling us, uh, you know, different questions that they have, which is wonderful. And that's why we really like to focus on AI today, the practical applications of AI. So it's great that generative AI is out, but how do you actually apply that for project success? And we always have our Cognolytica spin on these things. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk in this one, not only about the foundational models, but fine tuning LLMs. You might've heard that term. What does it mean? How do you get these LLMs to actually answer questions about your data? and your documents, which 
you might not want to upload to the internet and wait for, uh, say, GPT to crawl them and get an answer five or six years from now or whatever, or five months or however often they update it. You may want those answers today, and you may not want to share that information with everyone. So how do you get these models to do that? How do you do domain-specific LLMs? So we're going to talk about that. That's sort of the next component. And as Kathleen mentioned, you'll hear our insights uh, from our training. When we think about machine learning systems, especially ones that can handle a wide range of tasks, many times we are, well, at least traditionally, we've been faced with the challenge of, well, we have to build that machine learning model for that particular task. And that requires all of the steps we talk about in CPMEI, collecting the data, cleaning the data, doing model training and evaluation and constant iteration, and then, of course, model operationalization, getting the model out. But the thing we have here is we have these large models that have already been pre-trained and used for so many different applications that we don't really necessarily need to retrain a model or, or basically build a model from scratch. So many of the machine learning tasks that we have are really just specialized applications or domains of larger tasks. For example, any sort of natural language processing need, even if it's domain specific, things like chatbots and text summarization and, and you know, understanding and answering questions on documents and, you know, extracting data from documents. All of those are different aspects of natural language processing. And then even we have with computer vision, with things like image recognition and facial recognition and object detection and tracking uh, things changing in a particular video. All of these are specific applications of computer vision. So the idea here is, well, if we have to, to simplify the process and also leverage the fact that there are these big tech companies that have already built these big models, we can basically take these big models and use them in a way perhaps we fine tune them or perhaps we use prompt engineering to basically leverage these large models to do what we want. So the, the idea of the foundation model is that a foundation model is a large pre-trained model focused on a general domain such as language or computer vision that makes it really easy to be adapted for particular specific applications that may be domain or application specific versions of that. So foundation models themselves need to be very large to handle the, the broadest range of applications. They need to be very large to address a wide range of tasks. And they're trained on a large amount of data. They use a lot of GPUs and somebody else puts some investment in it. And you can use these foundation models on its own. Let's just say, oh, well, I just want to do some generic language stuff, you know, uh, have it answer some sort of question or do some sort of parsing of language or speech or generic object detection. You can just use the foundation model directly. You don't need to do anything to it. But you can also uh, fine tune this foundation model for a specific application. Let's just say, no, I don't want to have all the capabilities. I just want to specifically use this model for object recognition or for question answering or for sentiment analysis. So the Stanford Institute for Human-Centered AI defines the idea, or they were the ones that came up with the, the term foundation model, and they defined it as any model that is trained on broad data, usually using this concept of self-supervision. And the reason is because we want to eliminate the use of labels, uh, because labels would be pretty task-specific. And this model can be adapted or fine-tuned to a wide range of downstream tasks. And that's the definition of a foundation model. So what are the characteristics of a foundation model? One, it's been pre-trained using a large amount of data, which brings us to large. <laughs> foundation models are large. Uh, foundation models generally themselves have billions of parameters and they're trained on petabytes of data. 
probably took millions or hundreds of millions of, of CPU, GPU dollars and, and, and resources for that. The third characteristic is that they're generalized in that the model can be used for a wide range of applications and the foundation model is adaptable, which means that we can use prompting or we can use other fine-tuning approaches to generate the different required application responses or characteristics we want. Finally, the fifth characteristic is that generally foundation models use self-supervised learning approaches in which the training data is not labeled. And therefore, the final model is not specific to whatever label choices that we determine when we label the data. So foundational models really learn from the patterns and we use this approach of self-supervised to get there. All right. So what are the advantages of foundation models? Well, as we mentioned, traditional machine learning models are trained to perform a particular task, image recognition, sentiment analysis, all the things that we talk about in our CPMI training where we may use a particular algorithm and data to basically create a model for a particular purpose. And then that model is purpose-built for that purpose. Foundational models, as opposed to those traditional models, can handle a wide range of tasks, such as NLP. Uh, an NLP foundation model can do text summarization or chatbots or question answering or sentiment analysis or content generation. And we could further adapt these foundation models to be specialized with more specific tasks, either by, again, using just prompts and prompt engineering or by using a fine-tuning approach if we don't if we want to restrict the general use of that language model or whatever the foundation model we're using is. So foundation models really are revolutionizing AI model development because they're reducing or eliminating the need to train new models from scratch in many cases. It doesn't eliminate it entirely. There are many use cases for having small, compact models that are trained on particular data to do particular tasks. Those will always be there. But for a lot of applications where we may have not have built those models and we're thinking about it, we may use foundation models to get ourselves there. And uh, they reduce or eliminate the need to train new models from scratch. And they really require minimal fine-tuning. So if we do need to do fine-tuning, we don't need to spend months with data collection and data labeling, all sorts of stuff. We can do some fine-tuning in a very narrow amount of time. And that may help us get to our product solution much faster. And this is even beyond just the traditional pre-trained model approach where we download, we get a pre-trained model, and then we basically remove the last layer or whatever, and then we add the new outputs. Because then at that point, we still have to train that pre that re uh, revised pre-trained model using transfer learning, which requires GPUs and data and, and all that sort of stuff. And this doesn't. This approach of foundational uh, tuning doesn't require retraining the whole model. I mean, if you have to retrain that whole foundation model, you know, <laughs> I hope you have the money and time for that. So really, as opposed to transfer learning, which requires retraining a model for fine-tuning, methods exist to so-called augment a foundation model with domain-specific items without retraining the full model. All right, so what are some examples of foundation models? Well, we have a bunch of language models that we use at our foundation models. We have BERT and Palm, which are Google's. Of course, we have all the GPTs from OpenAI. So GPT-35, GPT-4, GPT-N, GPT-3, and 2, and 1 in the past. Um, those are all foundation models because you can use those GPT models directly and you can query them with the API, but you may use an application of it, a fine-tuned application such as ChatGPT, which is sitting on top of GPT-3, 5, or 4, depending on your paid plan or not, and using that model, but then creating the conversational interface on top of it. 
Then we have sort of the open source alternatives, if you will, to GPT. That's GPT-J, GPT-NeoX. We have, of course, Meta's Llama and Llama 2. We have Claude from Anthropic. We have Ernie 3.0, Dash Titan, which is from Baidu. We have Bloom, which is open, a combination of, it's really an open source thing, but uh, pushed by the folks from Hugging Face. Those are all on the language side. And I'm sure there's going to be more. You'll probably turn around tomorrow. There's like three, four, five new foundation models. And you have to understand that they're calling them foundation models because they want you to use those models for lots of other applications. And if you're sitting on their platform, you're going to pay for it, probably. Or there will be some other advantage for you using that firm's foundation model in your data. And it's up to the firm who creates the foundation model to keep that foundation model going and growing and being more advanced than the competition's foundation model. We have a bunch of visual foundation models as well, like DALI from OpenAI. We have Stable Diffusion, Flamingo, Florence, a bunch that basically can do various tasks such as image generation or object recognition, uh, computer vision tasks. And so we can build our applications if they are in the conversational pattern or the recognition pattern, especially on top of these foundation models. Foundation models are large general purpose models that have been trained on large amounts of data that can solve a wide range of tasks for a given domain, for example, text or image. <clears throat> and there have been a, an explosion of foundation models, uh, especially the transformer-based ones, the ones that can transform text into larger forms of text, large language models, but also image models as well. Since 2019, in part because of the nature of how AI grows. As we build models, we can build things on top of things. And as we collect more data, we can do more things with it. And of course, as we get more compute power, we can build larger and larger models, and then people can build on top of them. So everything kind of builds on top of each other, which is why things have been accelerating. And these large models, for example, the large language models, can perform a wide range of NLP tasks. And if you remember, Foundational models don't use labeled data. They use self-supervised learning without labeled data sets. So they can be applied for a wide range of tasks. You may not have labeled the data by, say, by sentiment, but we can use a large language model to do a sentiment analysis because of just the, the breadth and size of these foundational models can do all these sorts of tasks that we get them to do through prompts and prompt engineering and just the whole attention-based model. So since these large models can do these sorts of things and large computer vision models can also provide a wide range of computer vision tasks, if you have a need that is fairly generic or fairly general, you know, a content generation task, an NLP analysis task, some sort of task, a text summary or document classification or something like that, we can just make use of these foundation models without having to build our own model or perhaps without even having to fine tune these large foundation models to be more specific, to restrict them to particular applications. We can use them, say, out of the box, as you will, with prompt engineering and other techniques. If we do have a very specific need, let's just say the foundation model does not have the data that we need, or the foundation model needs to respond or participate in a particular way, then we can take these large foundation models and we can fine tune them. So we still have approaches to use these foundation models. We don't have to abandon them. We could take these foundation models and take fine tuning approaches. And we have a few of them that we talk about for your particular needs. But either way, we could start with this large base. That's why it is called a foundation model, because it can rest as the foundation 
either directly used or we could build on top of it using much, much smaller amounts of data to accomplish the tasks we need. And if you remember, out-of-the-box foundation models are trained on general knowledge. That's how they've been trained. So they don't necessarily perform well on domain-specific tasks. But to get them to perform well on these domain-specific tasks requires a significantly smaller amount of data and effort because these foundation models are just so large. And these foundation models, you could think of them as a type or a, or a kind of deep learning model that has been specifically trained for these large foundation purposes. And so therefore, they focus on functionalities. And of course, deep learning itself is a type of machine learning, which is a general method by which machines can learn from data. So we, as you can tell, we're increasingly refining our abilities here and building specialities that allow us to do these general tasks. I know it's interesting to use words specialities and generalities, but that's how we do it. As we use more and more data, we can make more specific kinds of deep learning networks that can handle a broader and broader set of use cases. And I don't like quoting vendors too much here, but actually IBM does do a good job of defining the groundbreaking nature of foundational models. And they say that we're witnessing a transition in AI, that systems that execute specific tasks in a single domain. So traditionally what we have done with machine learning and deep learning neural nets is we train them for a particular task, such as object recognition or sentiment analysis. These systems are giving way to broad AI that learns more generally and works across domains and problems. Now, this is not artificial general intelligence. We have not yet built the single intelligence that can do everything, but we are starting to broaden our narrow AI. Foundation models trained on large unlabeled data sets and fine-tuned for an array of applications are driving the shift. So this is basically what we talked about, the use of foundation models and the use of fine-tuning them as we need. So we can use fine foundation models directly without having to fine-tune them, especially if you have a business need that can make use of a broadly trained foundational model for a particular domain, such as text or natural language or image. And we can use these foundation models directly as if they were any sort of pre-trained model. We can ask them directly to do inferences, or we can build on top of them like we would a pre-trained model. And as mentioned, there are many applications that foundational models can do directly. NLP applications such as sentiment analysis, any sort of conversational system or chatbot, question and answering on data sets, whether they're structured or unstructured, machine translation tasks, information extraction tasks, document and text classification tasks, all of those within the text, the foundation models that have been trained on the large corpus of text data. But we also have computer vision applications. So for those image uh, foundational models, we can have them do image, image and object classification or identify what's in an, in an image and an object. We could have it do content generation like image generation. We could have it even do image labeling and segmentation, things that we used to require people to do to actually go into an image and draw bounding boxes and identify what's inside of them. Now we can have these systems do that pretty much automatically. So foundation models are dramatically reducing the need to spend effort for new models. So continuing with IBM research, they said that we have seen the value 
of these foundation models. And their accuracy clearly surpasses the previous generation of models by a large model margin while being cost-effective. So this is when they were reevaluating their Watson NLP. So with the pre-trained foundation models, Watson NLP could train sentiment analysis, so doing a, a sentiment, a positive, negative, neutral, whatever it is, on a new language using as little as just a few thousand sentences, which is a hundred times fewer annotations required than the previous models. And in its first seven years, Watson covered 12 languages. And using foundation models, it jumped to cover 25 languages in a year. So basically, the reason why we bring all this up is foundation models and this whole approach, not just generative AI, but just in general, the approach of foundation models can greatly accelerate your AI projects, if not shortcut them entirely, by not by eliminating the need for data collection and data preparation, data annotation, and simply focus on the direct use or the extension, the fine tuning of a foundational model to do what you needed to do, including the use of tools like Langchain to make that work and other tools depending on how we want to do it. So it's greatly accelerating the process, greatly reducing the, the needs for data collection, greatly do, reducing the needs for data preparation and data labeling, which of course greatly accelerates AI projects. So it's very, very important. This is transformative. And we basically say, don't reinvent the wheel if your business need is met by a foundation model or a fine tuning of it. And uh, this is all remarkable. And I think why we continue to iterate here and uh, advocate for best practices to not only ensure project success, but do so in a quick way. When do we need to fine tune and why do we need to fine tune large language models? Well, General purpose large language models are really good for general purpose natural language processing tasks of which honestly there are many. So that's why LLMs have been just so popular, so valuable for doing things like answering questions, generating general content, providing basic NLP tasks like summarization and classification and sentiment analysis, especially when it's based on general information. That's information that was what the LLM was trained on, which is all that information from the internet and all that corpus of text. So if your problems, the things that you need to do, generate general content that's based on the internet, do general sentiment analysis based on information that was trained on the internet, and do that broadly across all those tasks, general purpose LLMs are usually very good. But what if you want these LLMs to provide more specific responses for specific kinds of data? For example, NLP tasks for highly technical information or specific information or proprietary information, perhaps about your customers, your products, your services, your particular information that only you really know that's not generally available on the internet. Also, what if we want to do very particular kinds of responses? We want the NLP to respond in a very particular way to our interactions that require interaction with a very specific set of information. Or what if we have information that, well, just changes very rapidly? And so LLMs that may have been trained on data that was, say, a year or two old may be inaccurate for what we need. So we have accuracy issues. 
And finally, we may be using LLMs with languages that the LLMs may not have been trained on, various different natural languages and human languages or computer languages or technical languages. In many of these cases, we like the general ability of the LLMs that it can handle all these NLP tasks, but we need to, well, fine-tune it to do these more specific tasks. For example, let's say answering quiz questions or generating quiz questions for, say, classroom exercises and things like that. So LLMs don't generally work that well out of the box for highly specific tasks, since the LLMs are trained on general text data from the web during its pre-training stage. That's the stage when it was being generated to create and predict those text responses. As we know, LLMs are generally chained in a few phases, and that first phase uses that inbound corpus of data, and then we can do things like the attention and try to basically make sure that we emphasize the right parts when we try to generate that next word. Also, there are other reasons to use a fine-tuned LLM. And one, we may not want to use a publicly available LLM, perhaps for a cost reason, because we're paying every single time we do the query, or for privacy reasons, we don't want to be sharing information with those public LLMs, or security reasons, we don't want to be able to do that. Also, we may want to use a fine-tuned LLM that's very specific to our purpose to increase the response time and speed because, well, these public LLMs, perhaps we're using an API call, may take some time and perhaps we want to do things very quickly in an app or a website or some internal application. So in general, we fine-tune large language models to make them more aligned with our target application, to make them more accurate in providing responses based on data that may be more specific or maybe up to date. And of course, we want to make these fine-tuned systems more context-aware, aware of the kinds of problems that they're solving in the context of them so we can do NLP responses as needed. When do we fine-tune a large language model versus use prompt engineering, which we talked about is the method that we can use to get the LLMs to generate the sort of responses we want. And do we really need to retrain and do these tasks that are necessary for fine-tuning the model at all? If we can just use prompt engineering, especially when we have a large enough context window where we can provide perhaps up-to-date information or more very specific responses or the kinds of interaction that's needed as part of that input prompt. And I guess the answer to this question is, if the LLM has been trained on the right data, and provides reasonably accurate responses, then really we don't need to use uh, chat uh, fine-tuning in general. We can use prompt engineering, and then we can just use that prompt engineering to coax it to output what we want with prompts. And if we have a small amount of data, we don't have a lot of training data, and it's a general natural language processing problem, then the latest large language models, which are constantly being updated, might perform just as well with prompt engineering. And so we can use prompt engineering on one of the large models, or we can use fine tuning on one of the smaller models to make it do what we want. And I think that's when we decide to use fine tuning. When we do have enough data, when we have to deal with more updated information, when the large language models are not providing responses in the way that we want, that's when we use fine tuning. So we need to use computing resources and we have to do a little bit of coding to make our fine tuning work, especially to generate these fine tuned models. And so there are a lot of 
tools that are emerging and SaaS-based online solutions that really are helping us speed up and customize the process of fine-tuning models, especially public open-source models such as Llama 2 for very specific use cases. So how do we go about fine-tuning? What are the general approaches to fine-tuning? Well, if we don't have a specific application use case or we don't have a particular domain model, then we can just use a pre-built model, especially one that already does interaction like ChatGPT based on GPT-3.5 or 4. If we don't require a domain-specific application, but we do have a specific use case, like we want to do the NLP response in a very particular way, we can still use these pre-built models. We could still use things like ChatGPT, but we can use an approach like, say, document chunking, where I can get my document into the context window, and I can use a database approach where I can sort of manipulate the data that goes into the prompts and the data that comes out of the prompts to basically still make my general purpose NLP solution we want. Now, of course, I'm using a lot more API credits and I have to deal with the latency and the time that it takes to generate those responses, but that may be perfectly fine, especially for things that are, say, operating in a batch mode. Now, if we require domain-specific information, we don't have a lot of training data. Well, we should obviously try to get more training data. And in the meantime, we can use that document approach when we have with our pre-built models, as I mentioned, with the document chunking and the databases. Now, if we do have a sufficient amount of training data, this is where we start to look at these fine-tuning approaches, where we can use increasing levels of sophistication to do our fine training. On the one hand, we can do what's called feature-based fine training, where I use my pre-trained model that already exists, say an open-source model like a GPTJ or GPT-Neo or Llama 2 or something like that. And then what I could do is I can add to that network. When it, that's done, I could put an additional, say, classifier or something after the network, and I could train that little classifier based on letting the big model do its general purpose work task, and then I can have my more specific task purpose uh, uh, after that. But of course, if I do want to have this model be more specific to my application, I can use different levels of fine-tuning, basically using approaches like transfer learning, where I can change or add additional layers on the network, and I can just retrain those final layers. So I don't have to train everything, but I can retrain those final layers. Or I can use a more advanced approach where I can add the layers that I need and then retrain the whole network. And of course, this is all required based on what kind of accuracy you want, what kind of sophistication, and of course, how many how much compute resources you have, how much training data you have. So we could think of it, there's approaches like conventional fine-tuning, where I have my smaller data set, and I have my pre-trained large language model, and then I basically do my additional training with fine-tuning, and I get my fine-tuned LLM. It's a little bit more expensive to do that, and I could do what's called a parameter-efficient version of fine-tuning, where I take my smaller data set, and I use my pre-trained LLM, and I basically keep the original weights frozen, and I add and fine-tune the additional parameters in my fine-tuned LLM, and basically, I'm really only fine-tuning a small set of new parameters. Now, everything comes with trade-offs in terms of time and cost and data and complexity and programmability and all that sorts of stuff, but we have a number of approaches. It's not a one-size-fits-all. 
So there are many examples of fine-tuned LLMs that are out there, uh, and they're continuing to do to evolve, especially since we have now all these tools for basically taking things like open source models and turning them into more fine-tuned ones. One of the interesting ones is the Bloomberg GPT as an example. They published research on this, so you can actually see a lot of details here where they trained their language model to answer financial-related questions, such as who the CEO of an organization is, more information, maybe perhaps sentiment on a on a stock or a, some financial report, things like that. And it was because financial data changes very rapidly, very rapidly. So accuracy really requires an up-to-date LLM. They show examples of where they ask for CEOs of companies that have changed in the past year. And of course, all the public models got it wrong. The Bloomberg GPT models got it right. And they show that these are instances where large language models that have been fine-tuned with very specific data will obviously be necessary if you want to use them for anything that requires accuracy. So they trained the Bloomberg GPT on English financial documents, including news, filings, press releases, web-scraped financial documents, and social media drawn from the Bloomberg archives. It has over 50 billion parameters and 569 billion tokens taken from a corpus of over 700 billion tokens. Now, of course, Bloomberg has a lot of data. So remember, we were talking about if you have a lot of data, this is an instance where you can do a lot of fine-tuning and it would work really well. But there are other examples. Uh, Stanford produced something called Alpaca, which is built on Llama 2. And basically, as you know, these uh, general GPTs, they're, they're general text transformers. They provide predictive text, but they're not really meant for interaction. So Alpaca added the instruction following capabilities like ChatGPT added for GPT. So we have sort of this now open source ChatGPT, if you will, which was built. They basically had a bunch of sample conversations and instruction inputs and outputs. They trained, they fine-tuned the model so that basically it was fine-tuned to answer those instruction sets. And there's other ones like Vicuna is another one as well. Dolly, which was developed by Databricks, also did something similar. They used the open source LLM and they added ChatGPT-like functionality. So again, ChatGPT is a particular use case and application of a large language model for basically following instructions, but it needed that extra level of training, which is why ChatGPT sits on top of, say, GPT-3.5 or GPT-4 or whatever it is. Here we show that we can do the same thing, take an open source model such as Llama, do this additional fine-tuning with these instructional sets, which is, by the way, open as well, so you can train this model yourself, and then basically achieve the same sort of functionality. So all of these things provide great examples of what fine-tuning LLM is, what it's for, the high-level overview of how we do it, and some applications of what fine-tuning is all about. Large language models are really powerful, and people are looking at all sorts of ways of using large language models as part of their key business activities. And one of the things you may realize as you're putting together your business understanding for the kinds of projects you want to put together with AI, you may realize that large language models, especially in the broad way that they can be used, really solve a lot of problems and may be directly usable for your application. However, the you can't just use the large language models necessarily off the shelf. Large language models are built on top of these foundational models. These foundational models have been trained on large and large amounts of general internet text to handle a broad range of general natural language processing needs, but they haven't necessarily been trained on your specific documents, or they may not necessarily have the latest information, or they may not necessarily be 
responding in a particular way or a particular manner that you need to for your application, or they may need to interact with third-party systems. So to solve these issues of making building large language model-based applications easier, the idea of the toolkit LangChain was created as an open source framework tool for building large language model-based applications. And the key to LangChain is that the applications you can build are both data aware, meaning that you can connect these large language models to documents and sources to both provide context information for the large language models, as well as constrain the outputs to very specific kinds of responses. And you can make these large language models agent-based, which means we can allow the large language models to interact with the outside environment, query websites, interact with databases, uh, interact with APIs and other applications. And so as a result, using LangChain, we can build applications such as question answering, chatbots, summarization, code analysis, all sorts of applications that would sit on top of these large language models. So LangChain has a few components. The first part is, of course, the ability to interact with large language models and interface with a variety of different LLMs, such as OpenAI's GPT or Llama or Bloom or others as they continue to emerge in the market and in the space. The next component is this idea of a chain, which allows us to create a sequence of calls to NLMs, interaction with various systems, and various different activities, such as loading PDFs and splitting them up and doing vector store and, and putting that and allowing people and allowing the system to query the vector stores to basically get the relevant information and pass that to the prompts and then take the outputs and do more things with them. The third component is the ability, the retrieval component, which allows the LLMs to interact with application and context-specific data. The next big component of, of LangChain are the prompt templates that we can use to handle different styles of LLM prompt interaction, such as chatbots, question answering, summarization, data analysis, and more. Then the next aspect of LangChain are the agents, which provide additional tools for large language models to interact with the world around it, such as web searching, external documents, calculators, different kinds of things like that. LangChain also introduces the ability to have memory, which is allows us to persist information between different runs of the chain so that I can co continue to interact over many, many, many interactions, even outside of the context window that may be allowed by that large language model. And finally, the idea of callbacks, which allow the large language model over as we're iterating these various different steps of the LangChain chain, we can log and do auditing and streaming of any steps in the chain. So we have some visibility over what's happening along the process. So there are many different use cases that continue to expand and extend for LangChain. People are very excited by all the possibilities of making these LLMs do very specific things. We, of course, can do chatbots, the other thing we can do is we can answer questions using sources. So if I have a source document or a source database, I can use the LLM to ask questions of those sources. And I can do Q&A and analysis of even structured data. So if I have structured data saying, sitting in a SQL database or another structured data store, I can ask LLM style questions of it. I can interact with external APIs. So I can ask questions on 
of outside APIs. I can also understand and generate code of different types. I can extract information from documents. So I can have a document, I can take parts and pieces of it, and I can extract bits of it. I can do text summarization. I can even do web scraping. One of the things we can do is interact with third-party websites, and I can extract information using LLMs from those websites, and therefore ask questions of those sites. I can interact with databases. And there's really many, many so-called off-the-shelf chains that people have already built for different applications. And you can bring your data source and your particular configuration to make that work. And of course, that means we can build NLP applications on top of LLMs very, very fast. And we can iterate them quickly. And we could do so in a way where others have basically already helped <laughs> iterate on that. So this is a great way of really speeding up uh, many AI projects that involve NLP and can leverage the benefit of LLMs as well as doing it in a context-specific way. Very powerful. So the final little bit of Langchain is that the sources of information and the data that the Langchain systems can interact with and the third-party models just continue to grow. There are dozens and dozens and dozens. And if I was to tell you what they are today, tomorrow there'd be even more. But just to give you a sample of all the places that we can use Langchain to connect LLMs, we can connect Langchain with Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Azure Cloud Storage. So anything that can sit in the cloud, we can have the LLM connect to it. We can integrate directly with Google Drive so we can get documents, spreadsheets, presentations, and we can summarize them, we can extract them, and we can create them. We can also interact with live searches, Google Search and Microsoft Bing Web Search. We can interact with API wrappers to get news or movie information, weather information, whatever we can get with an API. We can also interact with scripts that sit on a server for summarization, syntax, semantics checking, any sort of shell script execution that may we could do at the result of an LLM. We, of course, talked about web scraping. There's lots of systems for web scraping, subsystems and templates. There are uh, additional tools for doing few-shot learning prompt generation, so I can even generate prompts from within Langchain. Um, I can even do things like finding and summarizing tasks and code. I can interact with a wide range of language models, as mentioned, OpenAI, Anthropic, Hugging Face, and others. We can even build uh, systems that allow our LMs to interact with MapReduce. So we can interact with big data systems for question answering on data lakes, and we can combine documents, and we can generate questions on those big data sources. Uh, Langchain provides ways of PDF file text extraction and manipulation. We have the abilities to generate Python and JavaScript code, do analysis and debugging. Of course, we have the support of vector databases, so I can take whatever my data sources are and I can generate these vector databases so I can do uh, embedding for, for, for word embedding and I can do similarity matching and for data objects. It has support for SQL databases, NoSQL databases, and dozens and dozens of document types and data sources. So I, I think we are evolving into this part of the ecosystem now where we can pretty much make any use we want of an LLM in the way that we want in an accelerated way, in a way that we don't have to build a lot of these foundation models, of course, that have already been built. We don't have to build many of the tools to do the interaction. And we can really greatly simplify a lot of the, the chores that we previously have required with data preparation and cleansing and labeling and data, and also the need for data engineering and data science. 
we are we are rapidly evolving into the world where natural language capabilities through the support of LLMs are in the hands of pretty much anyone who wants to take advantage of it. So need to make sure that first that you have a good business case. But if you do, Langchain and technologies such as LLMs are there to make that use case a reality. We hope that you enjoyed that excerpt from our CPMAI training and certification on generative AI. If you're not familiar with CPMAI, it's the Cognitive Project Management for AI Training and Certification. We have now launched our CPMAI version 7, which is the most robust training and certification that we have ever offered. So it goes over many AI-related concepts and terms. It helps demystify AI, as well as teach you shortcuts to project success using generative AI. Everybody is talking about generative AI these days, and so we needed to make sure that we incorporated it into the CPMAI training, but with our spin on it. And really, our spin is how do you use this practically for your organization? Uh, in CPMAI version 7, we also cover foundations and applications of robotic process automation, data science fundamentals, big data foundations, analytics, and engineering. And we also have we dig much deeper into our trustworthy AI, which we also have a trustworthy AI podcast series. And I encourage you to check that out. And I'll link to those in the show notes as well to make sure that you really are getting that comprehensive overview. And at the end of the day, you're going to be spending a lot of time, money, and resources building or using these AI systems. So you want to make sure that they are trustworthy and that people trust them. So it's really important that we included that in CPMAI as well. And we will link to that in the show notes. If you're interested in taking CPMAI training and certification, please do make sure to check it out. Like I said, this is our most robust and really enhanced and very comprehensive uh, training to date. So definitely check that out. And as always, we love to hear from our listeners. Many of you have reached out to us, letting us know which podcast episodes you enjoy or different topics you want us to talk more on. So please do reach out if you haven't done so already. And if you enjoy listening to this podcast, make sure to rate us on Apple's Apple uh, Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Like this episode and want to hear more? With hundreds of episodes and over 3 million downloads, check out more AI Today podcasts at AIToday.live. Make sure to subscribe to AI Today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, or your favorite podcast platform. Want to dive deeper and get resources to drive your AI efforts further? We've put together a carefully curated collection of resources and tools handcrafted for you, our listeners, to expand your knowledge, dive deeper into the world of AI, and provide you with the essential resources you need. Check it out at aitoday.live slash list. This sound recording and its contents are copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.